Hello and welcome to Eden Exchanges, the business journey podcast by Eden Exchange. Today we spoke to Max Haas, Tin Dow and Angela Fieldhouse from the team at Aussie NRG. We discuss what drives the team at Aussie Energy, take an in-depth look at the future of renewables in Australia and other trends the team are seeing in the energy market. We also delve into what you are getting charged for in your energy bill, how Aussie NRG can help save on these costs and the best way to get the ball rolling with the company. Welcome everyone, my name is Raghu from Eden Exchange and I'm joined by Ellen Rogers on the team today. Hello everyone. Today we're talking to Max Haas, Tin Dow and Angela Fieldhouse from the team at Aussie NRG. Welcome everyone and thanks for joining us. Now to start off, in terms of when it comes time to selling a business, why is the NRG service so relevant to potential buyers or sellers of businesses? Well, when electricity is a a major cost for the company, what we can do, even if they are presently in a contract for their electricity account, we can negotiate that mid-contract and get them better rates, reducing their price that they pay in their bottom dollar. So that that makes the portfolio look better. And how do you go about doing that? Well, with our relationship with the retailers, we are able to negotiate. Um, They can't leave their current contract, but they can stay with and extend the terms. So they're able to negotiate with their current supplier and see, depending on where the market's sitting, and hopefully they'll be able to reduce the the cost. And other than that, we can also implement renewable energy if they haven't taken up LEDs, if if they haven't taken anything up like that, we can reduce what they actually use. Yeah, sure. Um, And then what's your specific role in the company and how do you find the market today? My specific role is I I help with their dispute resolutions and uh, the tariff changes and analysts. So um, analysing all the data and making sure everything's correct because there's a lot of patches put through in the data and then look at the client's building correctly. So we get their their interval data and we analyse it and make sure everything's smooth with that and make sure they're on the right tariffs. So everything is always related to the data. This is why this alert system is so primordial, so important, because by getting FTP transfer their data every single day, you can actually work out the, the typology of the profile of usage, errors in billing, not optimizing their uh, their energy, so a lot of wastage. So uh, each core of our businesses, the data is primordial. And the data exists for one one purpose, is actually because this is what is used by the energy company to build. Angela looks after all the different uh, issues between retailers and clients, mainly when they actually, those issues becomes dramatic, becomes a... Yeah. I'm uh, dispute resolution. Uh, okay. <laughs> but she also is the one who uh, helps all the legal side uh, of association, for example. The legal team of association corresponds with her with uh, how can they actually, what are the rules and the regulations. The rules and regulations changes every day, yeah. an update every quarter at least. And the rules bend very dependent on retailers and because they supply their own terms and conditions that get approved. So not every retailer has the same rules. They have a basic overview, but uh, like depending on the type of contract and their small small contracts are really regulated, but when it comes to larger contracts, which is any IGA kind of thing, they're a small shop, but they're classed as a large business in the energy world. So large business is roughly anything between, you know, a couple of thousand dollars? Month, month, yeah, it goes by consumption, not by 
their turnover or their staffing. So, so what about entities like um, public transport? So you were talking more about some of them are part government owned, some yeah. of them are entirely government owned. Yeah. How does that kind of work with? Well, it all goes by their consumption. Yeah, electricity works only by consumption and that's it. So you're either this category or that category or the, there's three categories you can fall into and it's all to do with your thresholds of what you and, use. And, and it's also determined state by state as well. One yeah. state will have a different Yeah, so they uh, all have threshold. different mm. So it's, it's a bit different. So what, what would be a uh, SME business might be considered a large business in electricity. Mm. Yeah, and so even if it is a big business uh, like a large business and they've got factories but they're just warehouses mm. they don't use that much electricity so their classes and SME it's all completely classed as different. Well, we're working with also a few accounting firms which actually have those kind of issues and uh, more or less wants to actually better the bottom line for the clients uh, so anything we can look at and we've seen variation of Two, three, four hundred thousand dollars from one contract to another. Yeah, it can actually be quite dramatic. Well, and are accountants often people that refer to you, or it's more so directly the businesses that find out about your services? The accountants are normally word to mouth. Yeah. But majority is actually other businesses that come to us uh, through the association, through their groups, uh, and also exactly validated by other clients saying, oh, you know, please, you've done that for X, Y, and Z. Can you actually have a look at us? Yeah. And our client, it doesn't cost anything for our client to actually see what we can do for them. Just on the 20% of the cases, we cannot do anything. Yeah. In some cases, they actually are on the right tariff. They actually are on the right tariff. At the moment, if I were in your case, don't move. At the end of the day, our duty of care is to the client. So yeah. we need to actually look after them. And sometimes they are they're lucky. Looking at the dynamics of where renewable energy is coming from, like say comparing to the UK as well, like some time ago I did a road trip and driving past these enormous solar farms, I found out that the towns and the districts like the Cotswolds are all providing by the solar farm energy. They didn't staying in accommodation there. I didn't even have to worry about an energy bill. I would have expected those to be the most, but the locals barely pay anything for the energy. Is this kind of where Australia is heading, where cities like Melbourne will have solar farms, wind farms? hydration plants that will actually be providing energy? Absolutely. Microgrid is the next evolution. The only variation with Europe, it would actually be a network. It will need to actually be upgraded. This would automatically generate a, um, a an increase in prices. To become 100% independent, it's unlikely, and the reason is very simple. Uh, the impact on different modules, electrical cars, which should actually put uh, uh, an impact on our consumption going forward, uh, will automatically need to uh, for us to actually modify not only our behavior, but also modify the infrastructure needed to actually be able to sustain and to actually provide the necessary energy for those new devices. And we're only talking about the electric vehicle, but there's a lot of different as aspects. The entire grid, which was actually straightforward a few years ago, uh, where there were four main actors, the producer of the energy, i.e. the coal factory, the, the transmission line, i.e. the transport, the, the retailer and the network, which was the four major groups that constitute our network, is now changing from four to five actors to 20 to 20 to actors. It needs to go there to actually come to a solution like uh, England, France, Spain is actually extremely involved in this, in microgrids. Do I see Australia uh, arriving there? Definitely. Uh, but it will actually take time, effort, and I mean, the, the, the prediction talks about nearly, what, 22 billion or something like that? Well, well the prediction from AMO saying that um, there was an, an article in The Age last year saying that they're predicting that the investment into the network is anywhere between 8 and $27 billion. They don't know how much. They're telling us that it's not necessary that the consumers will be paying for this network, but I cannot see 
who's going to pay for it. I can only see it will be passed on to the consumers, which is all of us businesses and home, because money just doesn't fall from guy. So what the case watering it down, but the real the reality is it's it's quite substantial um, because they're finding that the infrastructure, like Max said, is actually quite old. It was good for the times, but now because there's two ways, you know, renewable coming back into the grid, and they're saying that well, we have to upgrade our networks and mm -hmm. our substations to cater for the new demand load. Yeah. Uh, but to to answer your question, will Australia, for my personal view, will Australia be wholly renewable? I would say not anytime soon because the we know wind is a bit different. Wind can operate at night, but solar is very straightforward. When the sun goes up, we have all this production. When the sun goes down, we have no production. Now, unless we create uh, a storage solution, I can really see the coal power plants will not be disappearing anytime soon, but the demand will be a lot less. Mm -hmm. So we'll have nighttime will be probably fossil fuel just to help cater for the load, and then during the daytime, you get all the renewable coming in, and that in itself will help our carbon emissions and hitting our, our targets and what have you. But I personally feel that right now the peak period is the most expensive, whereas off peak is, is cheap. And this worked for back in the days when and a lot of people had electric hot water heating system, and it was worked that way. But I, I see it actually evolving where at night you'll be paying a lot more than paid during the day because. If they, they will charge a premium for that. Yeah, and you mentioned that figure, the eight to twenty-two billion. Mm. I understand. Look, when forecasting, the only way you get it correct is by forecasting as often as possible. But mm. but in terms of, it is actually a trend that is likely to occur. So does that mean your industry is going to become more and more competitive slash extremely competitive industry to to operate in? It it, uh, it, it is already extremely competitive because people think, wow, well, you know. The, the price is hiked up, and that means you know the company, some companies make a lot more money than others, and what have you. And in, the, in some cases, that is true, but in a lot of commercial space, especially large uh, contracts, what we notice is that the consumption, the usage, is about fifty percent, but then the network charges is about forty-five percent. And people don't really question that. They always question, "Oh, I'm paying you know twenty-five cents for peak kill hours and rah rah rah," but they don't actually take notice of the network charge. And the network charges make a huge component of, of the bill. And that's only going to increase when they keep investing into the network. There was a parliamentary inquiry, you know, about why the network's so expensive. Nothing has happened out it. hasn't decreased. And, and look, there, there's a lot in it. Uh, there's a lot of political issues behind it. And we just know that that is the next step. I mean, people always harp on about how much they're paying, but they need to look at the whole bill, not just two lines, which, like Max said, a lot of people look at two lines. The, the, the network component, as Tim was um, saying, uh, represent roughly at the moment about 50% of your bill. So 50% of that of our bill is actually had to transport the energy from one point to the other. Only a few years ago, the price of the kilowatt hour was less than a third of the, of the bill. And it's actually uh, increasing. Now, the variation between peak and off-peak, peak is actually about the time of use of the kilowatt hour during the day. For example, Victoria, its peak is from uh, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. uh, and off-peak is all uh, other time. And, all, and the weekend, the entire weekend is off-peak. We've seen a variation in prices in the past 10, 12 years where uh, uh, there was a simple two-double. So peak was uh, double the price and off-peak. It's now becoming at parity. And I wouldn't be surprised, as uh, Tim was saying, that in a few years we'll actually we'll see an increase in prices of off-peak next to peak. It would be more expensive off-peak than it would be from peak. But in New South Wales, for example, they've got peak shoulder and off-peak. And traditionally, it was peak was the most expensive, then 
shoulder was the you know, half that, and then our pick was the cheapest. But now it's, it's your shoulder and your pick are the same price. Mm -hmm. So we have the parity there. So I, I think as as people start using more power or more electricity, uh, and the load is more on the grid, things will start changing. And just touching base, um, I'm helping one of our clients who operates out of New, uh, Northern Territory in Darwin. And it's a totally different scenario up there as well because they're not part of the AML network and, and they don't have coal power generation. They have gas generation. And now gas is actually has shot up you know, 100% in the last 10 years. It's extremely expensive and people don't really realize that. And people say, again, why is my bill so expensive? Mm. So we have to look at where the uh, form of generation because like bus systems and public transport across Australia does have the natural gas. I mean, the West Australian buses are all natural gas, and we don't realise that's part of our pricing ticket for Definitely. PT. And the, and the next nightmare in prices of energy is gas. Mm -hmm. so we've seen an increase of roughly about 20-22% from one year to another, but this year is going to be a very large increase. We look after gas. Uh, the reason is actually quite simple. is actually our gas mines are becoming older and older, and it's not as simple as putting a, a pipeline down a hole and actually using the... The, the natural pressure, which was the case as when uh, uh, gas mines are first uh, activated. As the gas uh, mine gets older, you need to actually add pressure to be able to actually recuperate the gas, and most importantly, the quality of gas gets reduced. So uh, you first start with the perfect quality of gas, so there's hardly any filtering to be done, and as the gas gets older, as the mine gets older, the, the gas needs to be filtered. So a dangerous element needs to be actually wiped out, and this is why we're seeing the increase. We are, uh, few retailers are looking to actually invest in more mining and gases. It takes a few years to actually get there. So we are, we are about to actually get another increase, and not many people talk about it, which is in gas. So what about the public transport systems like in Victoria that have gone solar and now we're looking at negotiating with Metro to turn the Metro train system solar power as well? Is that something that you're going to be looking forward to in each of the major cities? Oh, that would be absolutely mm. exciting to be a part of well, that, that, definitely. That definitely, like what we touched base before, how is it going to be powered at night? It's not solar, it's in, and I don't think the wind capacity is going to, it's just quite there. Yeah. Um, well, it's not 100% true. I mean, wind is fine and it works perfectly. When, when the wind uh, blows. When the wind blows <laughs> and when there's not enough wind, there's a problem. And there's, when there's too much wind, there's a problem. And when there's too much wind, they need to stop. And, and again, they're very efficient. Uh, the wind plans work perfectly. They're reliable. But they all have their, their weakness. It's normal, like solar. Solar doesn't work at night, which is not the end of the day. Because they're worse because most trams don't run at night. <laughs> we do have about the three and a half hours of darkness. Well, no more than that. That's true. Well, solar generation... It follows the UV bell curve because solar actually uses UV for the most part. So if you look at the UV bell curve, that pretty much is will mimic what the solar production will be like, mm. minus the clouds and all those other variations. Mm. So yeah, that's that, that's the things we need to uh, understand. Excellent. You got me thinking about the solar thing now, because now that the tram system in Melbourne has changed over, we're coming into winter now, so I'm wondering how they're planning to handle that. But, but it, it will never suffice. Uh, they, they might be able to generate 60, 65%. It's still fantastic. Be 100% uh, mm. it's not possible. You have to ask yourself, okay, you know, because a solar companies are sales-driven, and that's their revenue, that's fair enough, that's, that's their business model, but a lot of the information that's being provided is very questionable. Uh, from Even for a residential solar system with a battery system you have to understand you want to right now peak is still cheaper so the whole purpose is to actually use as much of this data power so it goes connect straight to your switchboard i've seen cases where they put a, a, a two kilowatt three kilowatt system with a battery system and then you have to look at how much that cost me so 
if the house isn't using all the power from the day, there's nothing charging the batteries. Mm. So at night, you're not using the batteries. And you can actually apply the same philosophy into commercial application. And like, it would be very rare for them to have any surplus because of the amount of power they use. So if they're never going to have any surplus, why do you even put in a battery system? And mm -hmm. to even put in a battery system, you have to double your capacity of panels. So to ensure that you're supplying to, to, to the site during the day, at the same time charging, but you don't have the roof capacity. So there's all these things that you have to look at. It's all leading towards the idea of it should move out of the residential, requiring each person to have solar panels on their house, which mm. affects their housing market price, and actually move it into these macro farms. Mm. I have to say, for a commercial application, and, and a lot of people comes to me to reveal all their quotes or I'll get advice, eight is considered flawed design out of 10. And the simple reason is, is they design it just for the most efficient ways for the labour costs. Yeah. At this day, they don't take into consideration the shading, even a little bit of shading, because the technology right now with solar, a lot of commercial deployments is what we call string inverters. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, and it has its limitation when it comes to shading. And they don't, they just put it on. So here's 100 kilowatts. Thank you very much. Pay up and mm -hmm. goodbye. And and what I find is that. Um, when I review all these quotes, I always tell our clients is that if you're going to put in a solar system, my advice, for example, rather than putting in 100 kilowatt and only getting you know, 60% because of all these various flaws in the design, put a 60 kilowatt and get 90%. Mm -hmm. Because technically you're saving that 40 kilowatt difference. And it's about getting bang for your buck. And then that's, what's, that's what a lot of solar companies do not do. Some do. There are good operators out there, but there's been a lot of bad operators too. And, and I've seen the results of the install. There's shading. There's, they don't take any of this into consideration. They say, oh, this space, let's put a panel. But they don't actually put themselves in the client's shoe and say, well, what does it mean to me from a cost perspective? So, And that's where I come in because I ask the hard questions. That's good. So how often are you advising and consulting when the actual premises hasn't been built yet? And how often is it when it's actually been built and they're looking to change? Is there like a different ratio there? Do you actually come in before everything's been built when the planning phase is going on and saying... Max has got a client at the moment that you're walking through all that. It's a new site which, hasn't, which actually is getting built at the moment. It's only on estimated consumption and load. Of course, the, the owner has an idea about the... They are followed by the energy... Um, Programmers or, or energy, electrical engineers, electrical engineer to actually predetermine the quantity of uh, usage they're going to have. It is also related to uh, the, the frequency of uh, what time is the site going to be open, when is that going to happen. So it's it's an estimated load always, and this is why it has to be very carefully followed for the next few weeks just to make sure that this the variation can be 20% more or less, uh, and this needs to be readapted. Yes, we look at uh, Greenfield, so uh, brand new sites. Uh, majority, 90% of our clients are existing sites. Mm. So uh, an estimation is good, but it actually hasn't hit the bottom line yet. It's just a, a prediction and a provision for it. Mm. It's also good when you get the unusual device, which you didn't expect. So like, say there was a massive apartment complex that was being set up in WA with the 200 premises on one site, and the energy provider came in to consult says, you know what, you guys will use your energy mostly during the day. You've got bright sunlight every day. Just build a skylight. You don't actually need to use the energy. So they were actually quite surprised. Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah, so you can see your service can help use at the initial planning stage, the running of the business stage, and the potentially a crisis stage to help convert that into a, a solution. So 
do you have a, a breakdown of the market of the type of people that comes in within those tranches I just asked about? Uh, yes, absolutely. I would say less than ten percent is on the greenfield, on the on the brand new uh, site being built. Uh, the large core, two thirds, which is around seventy percent, are on actually the evolution where they are, and twenty five percent or twenty percent are on the crisis side. Yeah. Okay. So crisis, uh, some company are actually facing uh, disastrous uh, events, which are the the retailer are about to close them because they actually are not able to pay the bill, and uh, we actually go into to work out a solution. Majority of the time, we work out the solution. The retailers are comprehensive. It just the, the, it depends the way you approach them. Uh, you need to actually work out the, the, the profile of usage, uh, what is the client is ready to do to actually reduce those kind of usage going forward, what is actually the financial agreement that you actually can put in place as far as a, a payment plan towards the retailer. Majority of the retailer are open-minded for it. And so in terms of there'll be people listening to this either about to sell, about to buy, just running a business now. No, if they want to reach out to you, what, what are your next steps in terms of um, you know showing them how to achieve these things? Well, what we need yeah. to do yeah. is we need to get their current electricity bill. We need to have a look at that, get a letter of authority so we can talk to their retailer about it, current electricity retailer, and we can um, get their data, we can analyse it and see how their pattern of consumption is to see how they're using it, if they're using most in the afternoon or it, in the during the day, where they use the most and what we can do to alleviate that. Because yeah. I think, like I said, there'll be people listening to this who haven't thought about this or don't know how to do it properly. We do encourage you to, to get the ball rolling, Aussie NRG, and you'll, you'll, you'll at least get that initial analysis done to see how you can save those costs. So essentially, it's, it's an obligation-free service to get the ball rolling, isn't it? Yeah, once a client contacts us, it costs them nothing. They've only got something to gain. So if we can't help them, if they already have the best provider and the best price, we will tell them openly and it doesn't cost them anything. So they've only got something to gain. So anyone that we take on board is because we see a way we can help them and reduce their price. And to, to add to that, the way we do work and our, our core philosophy is actually if we cannot help our clients, we do not tell them otherwise. We, we'd say it as it is uh, because we want to be thought of as a company that does the right thing and that's how a lot of our relationship is kept, maintained and grown and that's how we like to do business and if we can generally save our clients, we'll let them know. If we cannot save them, we'll let them know because it's not in our best interest to do the wrong thing by our clients, yeah. and that's not a good best. That's and people will understand that integrity you have there, so it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a key issue that people quickly understand, which is a, it's a great thing as well. And that's why all of our clients, we mainly retain the majority of our clients, and a lot of our business is word of mouth. The clients that uh, we end up losing is they end up selling the business, so yeah. it's not, <laughs> yeah. they, they've left the industry, so that's yeah. why. Right. Well, thanks a lot, Angela, Tim and Max, for joining us today. It's been, it's Thank been you a pleasure. And uh, we'd love to have you on again soon in terms of the, the market insights and what you're doing is a, is a key service. And I think the listeners are at a major benefit out of that. Really, uh, to get to the point, if you really want to see where you sit in the energy market, your costs, your bills, and if you want to try and reduce that, we'd suggest you, you know, inquire now. One of the team will be in touch with you ASAP to get the ball rolling. And it's best to do that with a very you know, well thought of legitimate provider like Aussie NRG. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Eden Exchanges was brought to you by the team at Eden Exchange. In this episode, we spoke to Max Haas, Tim Dow, and Angela Fieldhouse from Aussie NRG. 
For more information on Aussie Energy or for other episodes of Eden Exchanges, head to our networking website, businessbuyinvest.com. You can also subscribe to this series on iTunes or Stitches on Android devices. Find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram for recent information on the buying, selling and investing world. Thank you.